chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychra, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he was from the, sorry, Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to, the, to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman." How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and... Sorry... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah 
called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Then Jesus, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He's told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Amen. My name is Adam. If uh, we haven't met, it's wonderful to have you with us today and to spend a little bit of time opening up the, the Bible now. And last week, if you weren't here, we kicked off a new sermon series that we've called Meeting Jesus. What we're doing for the next few weeks is we're looking at a, a series of personal encounters that Jesus had with all different kinds of people in the Gospel of John. Now the Gospel of John, of course, is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the purpose of John's Gospel, why this book was written, was to convince us to believe in Jesus. At the end of his Gospel, John writes that everything he's recorded, everything he's written down for us, is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John doesn't just want us to know about Jesus, to, to hear about Jesus. He wants us to meet Jesus. And he does this by telling us what Jesus did, his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection but also by telling us how Jesus treated and interacted with other people. Who he interacted with, how he interacted with, what, with them, what he said to them. And this is so, so important. Because you can be, or, or someone can be impressive from a distance. But then if you have the opportunity to get close to them and you discover that they treat other people poorly, they become anything but impressive. For example, a few years ago, a friend of mine was given the opportunity to go on the footy show. I won't tell you which code to, to protect identities, but he had the opportunity before the show to go backstage, to meet the panel, to meet everybody involved in the show. And there was one guy in particular who was a famous ex-player. He was well-known, he's always on TV, comes across on TV from a distance as a really nice, friendly guy. 
But my friend said that backstage, up close, he was rude, he was gruff, and he was dismissive. See, you can be impressive from a distance, but then if you treat other people poorly, it makes you anything but impressive. But not Jesus. The closer we get to Jesus, the better he gets. He comes across all different kinds of people and he treats them all with dignity and with respect. Last week, we looked at Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. He was educated, powerful, wealthy, popular. He was part of the cultural elite. This week, in the very next chapter, which I think is done on purpose, Jesus interacts with someone on the very opposite end of the spectrum. He interacts with a Samaritan woman. And she was not educated, powerful, wealthy, or popular. She was uneducated, illiterate, poor, and despised. She was not part of the cultural elite. She was a social outcast. She was from the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, if she walked into church this morning, some of us might look at her out of the corner of our eye. Some of us might even avoid her after church during Connect Sunday. But not Jesus. Jesus seeks her out to talk with her and to meet her. And the reality is that their conversation is incredibly significant. It was a life-changing conversation, not just for this woman, but for many in her town. And for many people to this day, This is one of the most well-known and well-loved stories in the Bible. But it was also a surprising, even shocking conversation. I mean, when Jesus arrives at the well where he meets this woman and, and he starts to talk to her, her response is basically, why are you talking to me? She's surprised. She's shocked. When the disciples show up on the scene, and they see Jesus talking to this woman, they're surprised, they're shocked, they're thinking, Jesus, why are you talking to her? Now, why is everybody surprised? Why is everybody shocked? It's because Jesus is reaching across every kind of barrier, social, cultural, moral, religious, every kind of barrier to interact with this woman who he should have had nothing to do with. I mean, this woman had a a shady reputation. We're told in the story that she had had five husbands and was now living with her boyfriend. And the job of collecting water from the well in the Middle East, it was not done in the middle of the day. It was done in the cool of the the morning or the cool of the afternoon. And it was usually done in groups. But this woman is at the well on her own and in the middle of the day. Which tells us she was a social outcast. According to social convention, Jesus should not have been talking with her. People would have looked at that from a distance and would have thought it to be scandalous. But not only did she have a shady reputation, she was also a Samaritan and Jesus was a Jew. Now, perhaps to our ears that doesn't sound very shocking, but the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with one another. We were told that in verse 9. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It would kind of be like saying, Jesus was a Queenslander. 
I don't even need to finish it. Because we all know we want nothing to do with those New New South Welshmen. The Samaritans, you see, they, they were from the Jews, but they had intermarried with other nations. They'd become a mixed race. They had their own version of the Jewish Bible. They had their own temple, and the Jews looked down on them as inferior half-breeds. They despised them. But not only did she have a shady reputation, not only was she a Samaritan, she was also a woman. Shock, horror, <laughs> Now, of course, today, we don't think anything of it when a a man initiates a conversation with a woman. But in that day, this was highly unusual and highly inappropriate. This is why when the disciples show up, they're so surprised that Jesus is talking to her. Because according to gender convention of that time, Jesus, the man, should not have been talking to this woman. This is a shocking conversation for many different reasons. But here's the shocking truth. Jesus is talking to her. And he's not talking to her begrudgingly. It's not like she started talking to him and he's just trying to be nice. He initiated the conversation. He dignified her by reaching out to her. And even though between them there was every kind of barrier imaginable, Jesus knocks them aside to meet with her to talk with her, and to change her life. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, she was on the outside of every single inner ring. She was a gender outsider, a moral outsider, a religious outsider, a racial outsider. She was an outsider. He was an insider. And he blew through every single one of those barriers and said, let's know each other. Because the reality is, there is no barrier in this world that is bigger than Jesus. Jesus never looks at you or someone else and says, oh, you're from that culture? You're from that religion? You've done what? You've been where? You've had this done to you? Sorry, I can't help you. There is no barrier in this world that is bigger than Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin in full so that he can freely receive whoever will come to him. And this is why he had no hesitation to reach out out to this woman. A woman who had a past, like we all do. A woman who, who others despised. A woman who others would avoid. And this is not an isolated incident in the life of Jesus. This is not, you know, she just caught Jesus on a good day. Jesus was always reaching out to the rejected and the outsider, the lost, the sick and the broken, because this was why he came. We read last week in John 3.17, you know, the most famous Bible verses, poor younger cousin. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus reaches out to the undeserving, the high maintenance and the outsider, the lost, the broken and the sick, because his living water, his salvation, his eternal life is a free gift. It's not given on the basis of your merit, your status, your class, 
your race, your gender, or your place in the pecking order, or anything else. It's received with the empty hands of faith. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, anyone, anywhere can meet and receive Jesus. Jesus reaches out to all people because all people need Jesus. And there is no barrier in this world that is bigger than him. You might be here today and you you might be thinking, there's some kind of barriers that you need to get over, break down, before you can meet with Jesus. Maybe you need to clean up your life to become a religious person, but the message of the Bible is that Jesus meets us right where we are. He comes to us in our mess and we are all messy. Jesus knows this about us. He knows that we're broken and messy and needy and he still draws near to us. He meets with us, he dignifies us, he saves us and when we meet the real Jesus, we are never the same again. We begin a lifelong journey of being changed by him. And this is what happened for this Samaritan woman. She met Jesus that day and it changed her life forever. Now she didn't leave home that day expecting to be changed. She didn't think, I'm going to go down to the well and I think I'll meet the saviour of the world. It was an ordinary day and she was carrying out an ordinary task. But when she left the well that day, her life was totally changed. She met Christ, the Son of God, the saviour of the world and it changed her forever. Because when we meet Jesus, he meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He changes us for good and forever. Because when we come to Jesus, he uncovers and he meets our deepest need. In fact, these are the two simple truths that we can take away from this beautifully profound story. Firstly, that Jesus uncovers our deepest need. Now Jesus had an uncanny ability to put his finger on the greatest need of the person that he was talking to. Last week he said to the religious leader Nicodemus, you don't need more knowledge, you need to be born again, you need to come alive to God. In Mark 10, when a rich young man asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. To this Samaritan woman, he knows that she is spiritually thirsty and she has broken ways of trying to quench her thirst. She's been married five times. She's living with her sixth partner. And Jesus says to her, you don't need water from this well to satisfy you physically. You need living water. You need something to satisfy the deepest needs of your soul. You see, this woman's restlessness in her relationships, it is a symptom of an underlying deeper thirst. A thirst for acceptance, for love, for meaning, for peace, for significance, for happiness, a thirst for God. And amazingly and shockingly, Jesus has the audacity to say to her that he can satisfy this deep thirst of her soul. Verse 13, he said, everyone who drinks of this water, this water from the well that they were standing around, will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I read this week about a a place in Philadelphia in the United States 
Apparently there's a beautiful drive that you can take and it will take you along the banks of the Shulkill River. Now there's a section of the riverbank that's lined with boathouses and that's called Boathouse Row. And across from Boathouse Row, there is a statue of a, a pilgrim with a Bible under his arm. And right near the pilgrim, there is a stream of water. And this stream of water comes down from the hill and it empties into the Shulkill River. Now there's a path next to this stream that will take you all the way up to the source of the spring. And there, over the top of the spring, there is an inscription that was placed by, there by the city government many years earlier. An inscription that says, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Now the truth is, we could put this inscription over the top of many things in our lives. Over our careers. Over our relationships. Over our sex lives. Over our homes. Over our bank accounts. Over everything really. Whosoever drinks of this shall thirst again. Because even though these things quench our thirst at some level, they always leave us unsatisfied. They always leave us longing for more. Now I've already shared with you what Brad Pitt said in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine in 1999. Remember what he said? He said, the emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. Doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Now, no one's going to want to hear that. I understand. I'm sorry, but I'm the guy who's got to say it. Or listen to what Tom Brady once said. Now, Tom Brady is perhaps the greatest ever quarterback in the NFL. He's won a record six Super Bowls, he's married to a supermodel, and together they have a net worth of around $500 million. But listen to what he said in an interview a few years ago before he won a couple of his Super Bowls. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts of me that I'm trying to find. Brad Pitt, Tom Brady, the woman at the well, you and me, we are spiritually thirsty. We have a deep thirst that only God can satisfy. And the audacious, shocking claim made by Jesus is that he is the one that can meet our true, deep need for God. And this is what we see next, that Jesus meets our deepest need. Now when Jesus tells this woman at the well that he can give her living water, she doesn't quite understand what he's saying. She says to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. It's embarrassing to come on my own. It's hard work. I don't want to keep doing this. She's thinking in terms of physical water. And so Jesus gets right to the point. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now Jesus knows her situation without her even telling him. 
And he brings it up not to shame her, not to embarrass her, not to condemn her, but to heal her and to save her. Because the truth is, we cannot overcome what we are unwilling to confront. We cannot overcome what we are unwilling to confront. And sometimes Jesus graciously makes us confront our sin to help us overcome our sin and move forward with him. Not to shame us, not to embarrass us, not to condemn us, but to save us and to heal us. And when Jesus brings up the fact of her living situation, she begins to recognize that he's no ordinary person. There's something special about him. And so in verses 19 to 24, she calls him a prophet and she asks him about one of the most hotly contested issues of that day. Which temple is the right one? The one in Jerusalem or the one on Mount Gerizim? The, the Jewish one or the Samaritan one? Now, I don't think that this was a diversionary tactic that she used to try and get the attention off of herself and her situation. I think that once she realized Jesus was someone special, she brought up one of the most significant issues of the day that she wanted an answer to. And the reality is, in the same way, when we meet Jesus, there are all different kinds of questions and issues that we want an answer to. Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? What about other religions? What about science and, and so on and so forth? Now these questions are important and they can and should be discussed. That's why we run Alpha and Life Explored courses and I would encourage you to get involved. But these questions are not the main question. There is a question that is even more fundamental, even deeper than those questions. And it's this question that we must answer before all the others. And it's simply this. Who is Jesus. Who is this man who claims to be able to give eternal life? Who claims to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world? That's the question underneath all the other questions. And this woman and Jesus, they get to that question in verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. I know that God is going to send a saviour, someone to, to redeem and rescue the world. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. <laughs> then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Before we talk about anything else, the most important question we must answer is who is Jesus? And in this story, Jesus claims to be the one who can meet our deepest need, who can give us living water, who can give us eternal life, who can bring us to God. And if that's true, it changes everything else. It means Jesus is not just giving this woman information. It means he's extending to her an invitation. It's a challenge to respond. He's saying to her and to you and me this morning, come to me and I will satisfy your deepest thirst. It reminds me of these words from Revelation 22, which are some of the final words in the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
Jesus is telling us that we don't have to be thirsty. If we'll come to him, we will find the answers, the peace, the satisfaction, the salvation that we desperately need and that we're desperately looking for. He is the ultimate answer to our deepest need because he brings us to God. And he has done this through his death on the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he cried out, I am thirsty. Now this is physical thirst, but I think it's even something deeper. Because the Bible says that on the cross, Jesus was taking our place. We rejected the living water of God, which means we should have died dehydrated and without him. But instead, Jesus dies on the cross, experiencing the thirst that we deserved so that we could have the living water we have not earned. The living water of God's spirit and God's acceptance. Jesus is the one who brings us to God. He came from heaven to earth to save us, to satisfy us, and he invites us to come to him. So what is your response to Jesus? Some of us have never come to Jesus for living water. Some of us have come in the past, but it's been a long time in between drinks. We're spiritually dry, we're spiritually thirsty. We all need to return to Jesus and to receive his refreshment. There's a scene from the silver chair, and I'll close with this, that beautifully illustrates this truth. The silver chair, of course, is one of the books from the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. And Jill, one of the main characters, is in the land of Narnia and she's thirsty. And she comes across this magnificent stream. But also at this stream there is the lion, Aslan, the character who represents Jesus. We pick up the story. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved if she had tried. And she couldn't take her eyes off it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May, could, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion, 
No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do, but she went straight to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Before she tasted it, she had been intending to make a dash away from the lion the moment she had finished. Now she realized that this would be, on the whole, the most dangerous thing of all. This is the invitation from God to us this morning. Come. And all who hear, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is no other stream. Come and drink. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of living water through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, there are some of us here this morning and we are spiritually dry. We need refreshment from Jesus. And in a few moments, Lord, we are going to take a time just to respond to you in our hearts. And some of us need to say, Jesus, please refresh me. I want to live with you and for you. Lord, others of us are here this morning and we're spiritually thirsty because we've never received living water from Jesus. And in these next few moments, some of us need to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. I believe that you went thirsty so that I could drink deeply of the living water of God's acceptance. So wherever you are, you just take a few moments now to respond to Jesus. Jesus, you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And you are the answer to our deepest need. Let us never move on or away from you. Let us stay near to you. There is no other stream. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your good name. Amen. Church, next week we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with another woman the condemned woman of John chapter eight, and I would love you to to come back as we explore that together. But would you stand now as we close by singing in a moment and by hearing these words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. God bless you.